Let's uh, turn in the Scriptures to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. As we have been, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And uh, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon us now. Our gracious Father, thank You for speaking to us. We're thankful for Your Son, the eternally begotten Son, uh, who is not made. And uh, how great You are, Your Son is, the Holy Spirit is, one God. And Father, how gracious You are to give us a mediator, one who reconciles us to You, a, a Redeemer, who buys us out of slavery uh, from our sin and to the devil and makes us adopted sons and daughters of God. And so now we ask as we hear more of Christ your Son, give us a greater love for Him as we learn more of Him. And as we learn more of His sacrifice on the cross and His perfect righteousness, both active obedience and passive obedience, pray that You would humble Your servant and uh, give him the words from You, the unction of the Holy Spirit. As well, Father, give us all ears to hear You and not any man. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 9, verse 1. These are God's words. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in the harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Those are God's words. Friends, we're continuing here this evening, uh, focusing on Christ, the captain of our salvation. And we'll be 
looking as it is necessary for our mediator. We heard last Lord's Day should be God. This evening we'll be looking at the reasons why our mediator also must be man. And so God and man, as our catechism says, kids, in two distinct natures and one person forever. And so the main point this evening, the mediator, the necessity that our mediator be man. The necessity that our mediator be man. And that is for Christ to be the mediator in order to be the captain of our salvation, He must be something else than mere God or the second person of the Godhead. And we read in the call to worship, Uh, Exactly this. We read also in Hebrews 2, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that He by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became Him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now you ask the question, the kids, you ask the question, why does our mediator, why does Christ have to be a man as well as God? It says in Hebrews 2, For verily He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. We know the necessity uh, from the Scriptures, from the Gospel, that the mediator must reconcile us to God and, and that this occurs through God's own Son. Romans 5, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. All these verses are declaring to us not only that the Mediator, Jesus Christ, must be God, they're also declaring at the very exact same time that He must be man. And so why is God reconciling people to Himself through His Son? Because of your sins. The condemnation, the just penalty for those sins is eternal damnation. And God is holy and just. And so, if you are to be saved unto eternal life, which you don't in any way deserve, then God must reconcile you to Himself. He must bring you to be at peace with Him. And that there be no more hostility or enmity between Him and And you. And the only way that can happen is by the atonement. The death of Jesus Christ, the mediator for you. But now the mediator must be a man. And if he is to be the one who reconciles God and man, then he must become a priest and offer up something by way of satisfaction to God so that the condemnation that you deserve is atoned for, is dealt with, and the guilt is dealt with, as well as perfect righteousness brought about. 
And so then he must become a priest and offer up something by way of satisfaction to God. Hebrews 8, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. And what is it that the mediator, Jesus Christ, as a priest, offers? It must be greater than all things, what he offers. Nothing else would be a sacrifice great enough to atone not just for one person's sin, but for all his elect sin, his people's sins. Uh, This must be something that's greater than all other things, and yet something else than God himself. Therefore, it says in Hebrews 9 that he offered himself. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And there in that very verse again, not only speaking of the mediator, Christ as God, but as man, he sheds blood. Has to be one who has blood. And if the mediator be God, only he can be sacrificed, nor he cannot be sacrificed nor offered up. He's God, he's a spirit. God is a spirit, right kids? So how can he be offered up? How could he make atonement on your behalf and make therefore reconciliation with you between you and man, or between you and God? If He be the mediator, and the mediator be God, and He is, but if He is God only, He should reconcile us to His own self? No, but that He is the reconciler must be in some way different or separate from Him to whom the reconciliation is made. Because He is to be a surety to Him. That is, to stand in the place of all whom He is offered for. He has to stand in their place and be sacrificed for them. Therefore, Christ also must be man. That He uh, can be fit perfectly to be surety for us whom He dies for. To stand in our place. How can He stand in our place unless He be us, like us? Right? Man. How can he be a perfect reconciler between God and man unless he also be man? He has to be God and man. To reconcile God and man, this great chasm, how do you do that? It has to be the God-man who does this. Now, if he is to be a reconciler and a mediator, it was necessary, as Philippians 2 says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And in John 14, he says, For my Father is greater than I. As Christ in His human nature must submit to the Father under the law, and be obedient unto death, even death on the cross for our sakes. But it also has to be some reasonable creature, a rational, reasonable creature, right? That is the mediator. 
And I was thinking of which catechism question that talks about that. But I do know that it does talk about Christ being having a reasonable soul. Right? He has a reasonable soul. The mediator has to be one who is reasonable, rational. Man is reasonable. Therefore, to reconcile and redeem man, the mediator and the reconcile must reconciler must be reasonable, a rational creature. And there are only two reasonable, rational creatures. Angels and man. Angels and man. Which one's better for atoning for the sins of the elect men and women and children and reconciling them to God? Angels are by far a good match for him who is a spirit. But angels are not a good match to reconcile men to God. Hebrews 2, that's what all of Hebrews 2 is about, by the way. But Hebrews 2 again, it says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, He is able to succor them that are tempted. It would not be fit, friends, for us, if we were to be reconciled to God, to be owing ourselves to then an angel, but to one who is like our own nature, a human nature. Our mediator should not be one who is a stranger to our nature. Even uh, 1 Peter 1, it says, "...unto whom it was revealed..." that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Angels long to look into the things revealed, the things of salvation, but one who has a human nature would better grasp these things. The angels don't fully grasp these things. So how could they be our mediator? How could they reconcile us? They don't even understand it. But this relationship of a mediator between us and God must be one where our natures are very near and so near that He should be of the same nature as us. And so this is so that He who reconciles us would be able to be head to us. Right, think of 1 Corinthians 12 and the picture of the church, the body and the head and the different parts of the body. How can the head be the head of the body unless it is of the same nature? It can't. Christ had to be man. Ephesians 5, Song of Solomon. How is Christ to be our husband so that those whom He reconciles are His bride? How is He to be our husband if He is not of the same nature? Human. And think of that relationship between that which is of your own nature and that which is of a different nature. You naturally have a greater love for those of your same nature. In your family, you have more similar bloodlines. You have a particular affection for those who are very near you, most like you. 
Uh, even your brothers and sisters, they were raised just like you. They know your parents. You have all these things in common. And so there's a natural love you have in the church, in a particular congregation. You have a greater love for those in, in your particular congregation and, uh, broadly speaking, all the church than you do with the rest of the world. Because there is of the same nature or like nature. And so the mediator, the one who to, the one to reconcile us with God must be man to love us the better for he can't be opposed to his own flesh and blood. On the other side of the, of the coin, an angel's nature would, be, would not be fit for such a work itself of reconciling and being our mediator. Well, God's justice must be satisfied in every single point. Every single point. And for satisfaction to be made, it must also be made in the sameness of nature as well. Think of Romans 8. It says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh... God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He took the likeness of sinful flesh, a human nature, to condemn sin in the flesh. An angel can't do that. Kids, why can't angels uh, condemn sin in the flesh? Because angels are spirits. They don't have bodies, right? And so how can they deal with the lusts of the flesh and atone for those sins? The human nature of men at the fall was defiled, needed to be cleansed and purified. Our natures need to be sanctified. Hebrews 2 again, it says, For both he that sanctifieth, Jesus, and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. And so, justice can only be fulfilled by a mediator who is not merely God, but he was God and man. Couldn't be an angel. Moreover, it couldn't be an angel because we fell by the sin of man. We didn't fall by the sin of an angel. We are men, women, children. We are of man. And God, uh, we fell uh, by the sin of man. God ordained, therefore, that we should be redeemed by man. 1 Corinthians 15, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. By seeing, So seeing by man came sin, by man came redemption. Romans 5, consider the principle of like proportion that God uses when, he, when it comes to His justice and redemption. And it says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Which right above, right, we already read that He is by man. 
Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men on the justification of life. And so it was man. The, the Redeemer had to be man, not an angel. But now also consider that to make perfect atonement for our sins, your sins, and reconcile us to God, it was necessary, and it was necessary that perfect righteousness be fulfilled. Perfect obedience to God's law be fulfilled. And this was not fit then that the Redeemer and Reconciler and Mediator be an angel. For an angel cannot fulfill all righteousness that is required of us. It was not fit then that an angel be this mediator. If he was to fulfill the whole law, every jot and tittle, an angel that is, every jot and tittle of it, and that for our righteousness and for our example, an angel could not do that. Angels are not capable of fulfilling so many parts of the law as one with a human nature. An angel could not perform the Old Testament ceremonial laws that were required of those people of Israel. Has Jesus fulfilled them? And consider all the book of Hebrews to be uh, fulfilled, right? All those ceremonial laws fulfilled in Christ. He's the altar. He's the perfect incense to God. He's the bread of life. He's the final sacrifice. He's the laver of washing. Nor, no, no angel could fulfill half of the moral law. It has to be subject to parents. To be temperate, sober, sanctify the Sabbath, honor your father and your mother. Right? Angels can't do that. They don't have parents. How are they supposed to love their spouse? They don't have a spouse. And so it's fitting that our mediator be, to fulfill all righteousness, be man. The mediator also had to fulfill the whole law for our example. Had to fulfill the whole law for our example. But an angel couldn't do that either. Not only could it not fulfill the whole, an angel can't fulfill the whole law, it can't do that for our example. In 1 Peter 2, it says, For even hereunto we were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He was to be a visible example. But again, an angel is a spirit. They don't have mouths. They're a spirit. An angel's obedience couldn't be a good example for it could not be seen. Our mediator was to be a perfect example. And so it could be said, as it is in 1 Corinthians 11 by Paul, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. All those duties of obedience that are performed in the bodies, angels in our body, angels are incapable of doing. The second table of the law, all those laws of love your neighbor, the fifth through the tenth commandments, are cut off from them in many aspects. So their obedience is only spiritual, since they are only spirit. 
And the nature of an angel could not have fulfilled the law of God on behalf of man. We could say, sure, they could endure a little bit of the wrath of God, but not that other curse. They could not endure that other curse which went out in the letter against us, friends. They could not die. They could not return to the dust. There could be no bodily death threatened to them, where it says, For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Angels don't have a body and a soul to be separated at death. So they couldn't be our mediator. They couldn't be our redeemer. They could not be a sacrifice for sin. And how could they? They don't have blood. For without blood, there's no remission of sins, right? Hebrews 9, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. If there's no blood shed, friends, it would not be a full redemption. So angels don't have blood. Right, kids? Angels don't have blood. They're a spirit. They can't shed blood. That means they can't be the one who dies for our sins on the cross. They don't die in their bodies because they don't have bodies, right? They don't have bodies. And so they can't be our mediator. Angels are not fit to reconcile us to God. It must be one of our own nature, having a human nature. And friends, this is great. That it not be an angel that redeems and reconciles us to God to make... Because... They could not make a laughing stock of the devil. That's a great thing to think about. An angel couldn't do that, as well as man. To completely humiliate Satan and his followers. That the one who reconciles us to God is not one like himself, an angel, but those who are lower than the angels. Man. Satan had worked to ruin man's nature out of his malice and the fall of man and tempting Adam and Eve. And God would have man's nature then to destroy the works of the devil. Completely humiliating him. 1 John 3, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. God manifested. Why? That He might destroy the works of the devil and completely humiliate Him. The Son of God was manifested as He took on the human nature that He might destroy the works of the devil. And through Satan's confusion, God would have Him led captive by one who is man. Hebrews 2 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And so he took on a human nature for a purpose, not only to save us from our sins, but also destroy the works of the devil, to humiliate the devil. For being one who is lower than the angels. And so praise the Lord, Jesus Christ did not take on the form of an angel to reconcile us to Himself, one that's impossible. 
it wouldn't work. And two, it makes him all the more glorious and wondrous. If Christ took on the nature of an angel, this great act had been done by an angel, the devil might have said he had met his match, someone similar to him. It's like a battle, you know, a fight. And he was defeated. But having it done by a weak man who died, that was once a baby, once a baby, one who sucked from his mother's breast, this was a mighty destruction of Satan. And praise the Lord that this is brought out in Psalm 8. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Christ is the first one to be that. To destroy the works of the devil, he became man. And so the victory over Satan, the revenge upon Satan, who is the great cause of man's fall by tempting man to sin. And so the first promise, the first preaching of the Gospel to Adam, it is not to Adam. or yeah, The first preaching of the Gospel to Adam was not directed to him, but it was directed at the devil. Right? Instead of addressing Adam first, he addressed Satan. And he said that the seed of the woman... A man. The seed of the woman would break the serpent's head or crush the serpent's head. And that was the aim of God that one of a human nature from the very beginning would be to the utter defeat and destruction of the devil. For our reconciliation, our redemption, and the salvation of poor and weak men, women, and children. So we have a great Savior, a great Redeemer, who by the blood, His blood shed can purify your heart and cleanse your guilty conscience, who can save us. And it is the one who can save us is He who is both God and man. And that's Jesus Christ, our mediator. Not an angel, but the God-man. And you're called, as we often hear, you're called to turn to Him today and believe the good news. That you're a sinner in need of a Savior. As we've investigated the Scripture, the Savior needed to be God and man in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He's the Savior and He calls you to come unto Him and believe and faith and repent and you'll be saved. I us be reminded of what we heard by reading a good chunk of Hebrews 2. It says, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders, with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His will, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? 
Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that He Himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted." Are you tempted to sin? Have you fallen into sin and can't get out of sin? Are you in your sins and you can do no good? So far rebelled against the Lord, you've rebelled against His Word, then to all of you, to uh, Jesus Christ, He says, turn unto Me, come unto Me, and I'll deliver you and save you. For He is God, He says, I, even I, the Lord, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. And having taken on flesh, has conquered Satan, and the bondage to sin, the condemnation of sin which is death, even rising from the dead, so he's man. So we have an amazing, awesome, wonderful, everything we see in verse 6 in Isaiah 9, everything there, we have that Savior that we can come to for our salvation, and He will receive us, He will not cast us out. And so come unto Him. There's nothing that hinders you but yourself in coming. And so come and be saved forever by our Mediator, who's the God-Man. And two distinct natures, one great divine person forever in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we praise You that You are a God so wise. As we look at the Scriptures, all these things that we've covered this evening could could kind of gloss over and not really think through. And yet we praise You that You answer our questions directly, clearly. We're thankful that You have given us of Your Son, that He was no angel, to save us, but He took the form of a man. He he was manifested in the flesh. 
even to reconcile us, be the perfect reconciler of us between you and us, to make peace with God for us. He died for our sins on the cursed tree, that our sins would be covered, our guilt, our guilty conscience purged, and even the devil, his works destroyed and defeated. To the great humiliation of him, and unto his full destruction. And so, Father, we pray that we would love Christ all the more, and you would grant us a greater thankfulness unto him of how much he truly is like us in our nature, and yet perfect in righteousness and without sin, so as to be a perfect Savior and a perfect sacrifice. And so grant to us faith in Christ and repentance unto life and salvation forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.